Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. All righty, welcome back to today's Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to be with you here today. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you so much for subscribing to the podcast on your Apple devices or those Androids. We are continuing to tell the story of the livestock industry here in the United States and featuring those stakeholders that help uh, shape the industry itself. And a word that we have heard quite a lot of for many years is the word sustainability. And why does sustainability matter in agriculture? That's going to be the focus of our show today, the, the term sustainability. But we're going to dive into that just a little more. About that. Joining us are, are some great leaders within the, the beef industry here in the U.S. Uh, joining us are, are Kevin Kester, Don Close, and Ben Weinheimer. Um, Kevin Kester, of course, uh, from the, the state of California, past president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, uh, Don Close is with Rabo AgriFinance and uh, Ben Weinheimer with the Texas Cattle Feeders Association. Uh, gentlemen, how are things going today? Good, Lane. Do well. Good to be with you. Well, I'm happy to have you with us here today because uh, this this is an easy talk, sustainability, isn't it? Well, sure it is. <laughs> I'm glad you have that answer, Kevin. But for, for our audience at home, let, let's just maybe talk about a little bit of background about, about yourself, uh, the operation that you and June run back there in California, but just, just the history behind it and your involvement in, in, in agriculture. Yeah, I think it's appropriate to let everybody know that I am represent the fifth generation of my family, the ranch in our central coast area of California. I have uh, three grandkids now, fourth one on the way. It, potentially represent a seventh generation. And I think that's just the perfect lead-in to sustainability for multi-generational ranching families here in the United States. Well, Kevin, thanks for being with us here again. And and Don Close, I just saw you last week at the Montana Stock Growers Convention. Happy to have you here with us. And uh, I think you're going to bring a very unique side to the the conversation about sustainability. But let's talk about uh, yourself or your career in the industry and uh, anything you'd like our, our listeners right. to know a little more about you. Oh, gosh, where to start? I, uh, you know, I, my first job off the farm was as a, a, a fed cattle buyer in Omaha. Uh, after there, was back in Oklahoma City, uh, order buying feeder cattle. Through through that uh, business, I was buying more cattle for CME uh, feeder deliveries than I was buying on order, and so I made the transition into the commodity business. I was a licensed commodity broker for 33 years. Uh, in that time, I was uh, 11 years with Pioneer Hybrid. I was part of the Future Beef Project. I was at Aztec Cattle, uh, TCFA, for a number of years and before I ended up at Rabobank. And uh, what, what's your official title at Rabobank? I'm the Senior Animal Protein Analyst for North America. Great. And uh, we'll continue to talk more about, about your role, but we're going to jump over to Ben Weinheimer with the Texas Cattle Feeders Association. A uh, uh, little bit about your background and your role there in Texas. Lane, uh, happy to. Uh, born and raised on a family farm and ranch in the Texas Panhandle. Uh, me and uh, my parents and six other brothers. So uh, we had an opportunity to uh, operate a dirt diversified uh, farming and ranching operation and I've also, uh, in the past uh, several years, have had the chance to work for the Texas Cattle Feeders Association, represent the cattle feeders in Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. 
Well, gentlemen, again, thanks for those uh, introductions for our listeners. And uh, as we, we dive into the the adjective sustainability, um, there's a lot of definitions of sustainability depending on who you ask, uh, from, from producers to consumers to, to different groups that are out there. But the first question I want to lead off with is is the history that you've had with sustainability within agriculture. And Kevin, I'll start with you. When did you first hear the term sustainability uh, as a way to uh, help improve your operation? Obviously, we know sustainability has been around in agriculture. Our, your fifth generation uh, family operation wouldn't be here without it. But when did you first hear that term sustainability? And when did it kind of click with you about Oh, we, we, we need to start talking about this and showing off what we're doing a little more in the countryside. Yeah, I bet you it was close to maybe nine or ten years ago we first heard the word sustainability as it relates to what we think about now. And so <clears throat> sustainability, of course, we always, uh, as a producer and a rancher, always practice sustainable things. Uh, the challenge has been uh, the public doesn't know what we really do. And so... Um, one day or one year, a number of years ago now, that companies like Walmart and, and McDonald's came, uh, fortunately, had the foresight to uh, come to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and inquire what what defines sustainability because <clears throat> they made a determination that their consumers and customers were uh, wanting them to be sustainable and show some efforts towards sustainability. And so they did, had no idea what that really meant. And so... A number of years ago, companies like that came and started the actual formal conversations, uh, which led to where we are at today with a more formalized and understanding uh, measurements of sustainability for, for the beef industry. Don, for yourself, uh, on the financial end of things, or maybe even before you were on the financial, when, when did that uh, term pop up on your radar? I would agree with Kevin. It, it's, it's easily probably 10 years ago, and, and my take on it... Um, I've been a slow evolution, uh, and, and initially my take when, when I started hearing that question come up, I was offended uh, that I thought our industry was, was already sustainable. And, and then after I took time to understand what that meant to consumers, what that means for benchmarking an operation and goals for continuous improvement, um, and then you, you take that objective for continuous improvement and put that into either the global marketplace or or the the banker client relationship that's always looking for measured improvement it all started to make much more sense ben on on my end it's been uh, at least a decade of having the opportunity if you will i guess if you look at it that way because when it first came up as kevin and, and donna both commented uh, it wasn't necessarily a word that we embraced in the modern context because of, as uh, cattle producers, we felt that that feel like that's in our blood and uh, something we we know and, and do every day and strive to do better. So so all, but all of these, uh, you know, current discussions around, you know, continuous improvement and how we're addressing uh, environmental, social and economic considerations, you know, more, more simply put, um, you know, we take a lot of pride in how we care for animals, care for our people, care for the environment, and absolutely we have to make a profit doing that. And so uh, as as we do that day in, day out, um, I think we've many of us have come full circle to re- realize that these sustainability dialogues have created an opportunity. 
really a twofold opportunity. One, to help reunite us as a supply chain so that we can really resonate around uh, what's important for us on, on those uh, in those key areas. And then also then uh, as uh, we, we get become reunited as a supply chain around those issues, it gives us a way to increase our transparency and our, our openness and our communication to our beef consumers. So obviously we've kind of determined that uh, that term has been floating around agriculture for about a decade. So in your mind, how is that, how is the, the, the view of sustainability, how has your view of sustainability changed in that decade itself? Obviously we've talked about how listening to consumers, but how has that changed for you from day one when you heard sustainability to today? How has that changed your, your, your way of life and, and the way of looking at it? Ben, you can jump in there first if you want. Yeah, sure. So I, I think early on, um, quite a bit of hesitancy um, in terms of, what, well, what is it that you're going to ask of me? What are, what are you going to ask of, of us uh, that, are, that are working every day to, to raise cattle to produce the highest and best quality protein, uh, not just for our U.S. consumers, but, but globally? And uh, so early on, I think it was concerned about, well, this is potentially another unfunded mandate, an unfunded mandate within, the, within our own supply chain. So uh, that uh, kind of created a, a lot of fear early on and uh, something that, that we had to overcome and a lot of lessons learned, I think, through some of the earlier uh, sustainability dialogues that some of the folks in the supply chain uh, created uh, somewhat independently. And um, af after, uh, after a few years of, of lessons learned from that, it, it kind of came full circle to a realization that this supply chain starts on the ground at the ranch. And in order for uh, this sustainability effort um, and discussion to be successful and for us to be able to uh, uh, provide input to that and contribute in a, in a positive and meaningful way, um, it's, it's really where we, we, we if you will, turned, it, turned the conversation around and said, hey, we do have a great story to tell. And, and uh, so, you know, from a lot of hesitancy to maybe 180 degrees later, uh, coming around to, to really embrace uh, the conversation and, and provide uh, leadership when it comes to this sustainability discussion. Don, your take on it? I, <clears throat> I think we've, we've gone, say, 180 degrees from the beginning as we've already talked. But, but when I look at that for an opportunistic uh, ch opportunity for, for producers, and I look at the quality of product that we produce in the U.S. If you look at the explosion of global trade that we've had just this last year, and, and that's been accelerated with ASF, but you take that, that global demand for protein collectively, beef specifically, if you look add to that the environmental issues with either the fires in Brazil or the, the pressures that many countries are feeling to meet their Paris Agreement obligations, we've got some really crazy proposals going on there in the global market. So I see that as a excellent opportunities for U.S. producers. And as, as I look at this from, from my employer's perspective, we're trying to position ourselves or our customers to be in a position to capitalize on this opportunity, but we're also using it as a as a defensive mechanism, both as we have 
conversations with the Europeans, if we have conversations with the Brazilians, New Zealand, that we can absolutely say, look, we're, we're doing our part to define the U.S.'s role in sustainability. That, and, it's, and it's that classic deal, if you don't tell your story, somebody else will, and we're trying to be in position to tell that story. Well, and I think we just need to kind of continue moving on with that. Uh, uh, Kevin, for yourself as a rancher, in looking at this, and you also have a vineyard as well and, and uh, produce wine, um, how, how has the term sustainability and the shift towards uh, showcasing that here at home and across, across the world changed your management style, your, your, your view of uh, how you needed to maybe make some different changes, keep some of those uh, uh, um strategies that you've used for 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 decades how how has that really shifted um on your operation well it's exactly as ben and don have alluded to uh early on i was scared and and really nervous about potential mandates and cost and outside activists trying to tell me how to be a rancher and so over the past few years uh, getting engaged and involved uh sustainability now is a huge and great opportunity to what ben and Don alluded to for export markets as well as domestic. So uh, as we move forward, uh, our consumers, our customers here in the U.S. are demanding to know where their food comes from and and how does it affect the the environment. And so we've set down as an industry all sectors, all the way from the ranch to retail, and uh, tried to figure out the definition of sustainability on each sector at the ranch and uh, what do we need to do to be sustainable to show what we know we've been doing for generations. And so now we have that opportunity. Now we have a metrics and some measurements uh, as we uh, go forward to where I can go to a customer here in the U.S. or across the world and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing well. We're uh, improving on the environment and uh, you should buy our products. Well, let's maybe expand on that a little more too, is uh, more on how you measure that and how those metric works, because I think that's one of the questions a lot of producers maybe ask is, uh, we already are sustainable. What, why do we have to tell our story or, you know, why, why do we need to measure this at all? Um, could we talk more about, you know, Ben, if you want to add on that too, just, just kind of how to measure that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, st- I'll start off first. Um, uh, been able to have the opportunity to uh, have uh, formal uh, metrics and measurements that uh, all the segments all the way through retail to our consumers, everybody agrees this is how you show we're sustainable. And we can measure those and show them continuous improvement, in which we are. We've got a good story to tell. Every rancher knows that. Now we have a method to tell our story in a science-based, measurable way to our consumer. And Don, I want to jump back to you there on, on the international end of things. Uh, you mentioned the fires that took place in Brazil. Um, you mentioned African swine fever. How does this all tie into the sustainability conversation in the eyes of consumers on the international scale? And uh, maybe share some facts that go along with uh, that, that misconceived perception, maybe. Okay, I, th- I think this actually comes along at an, a good time for U.S. producers. Uh, I've, I've had a, a number of calls with the Brazilians, and I've asked the question, you know, we've heard so much that they 
they were intentionally burning the rainforest in an effort to clear more ground, and then you hear the opposite story that we were not burning the, the rainforest. We were simply burning and reclaiming ground that had already been broke out. But as regardless of what, what actually occurred, we do know that the number of fires this year over years past was increased, and then that issue got escalated with with a lot of the European leaders. So funding that was coming from global partnerships to help protect the Amazon, they've stopped funding that. So it it has damaged reput- relationships. Um, it has made that monitoring of the of the of the rural lands more difficult. So that's going to be an ongoing thing. Uh, we've got the, the third year of just horrendous drought going on in Australia. And at the very same time, you've got proposals from various governmental agencies that what they define as, as a, a major project, but essentially has to be carbon proven, carbon neutral from day one before you can you know, get any kind of, of uh, approval plans. In what nations are those? Just that's Australia. Okay, and and then in New Zealand, uh, their total cattle inventory is roughly ten million head, but they they are openly talking about uh, intentionally liquidating uh, cattle numbers and by a million to million head, and using that that ground to plant trees uh, to try to capture more carbon or CO two, so. I say there, and then and then all of the you know the 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 issues going on in Europe. So, um, I think we've got to be prepared on the environmental side of this discussion. I think uh, we have to be prepared to defend what we're doing, and I think we have to be in a position to tell a very convincing story, because as pressure builds on these other countries to meet the obligations of the Paris Agreement, but we're not in there, we're going to get a lot of, so what are you doing? And we better have an answer. What are your suggestions on that answer, or or Ben, or um, Kevin? What what would that response be to have, having an answer on the sustainable end of things, or just uh, the... the... I, I, the politics of that line, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> But I, but I do think the whole sustainability effort and that we have a story to tell and that we're looking for benchmarking, we're looking for continuous improvement. Uh, we're, we know that the greenhouse gas emissions from the U.S. beef production model are lower than, than other portions of the world. Do we go so far as using our production model as a as a demo model to share technology with some of these other beef producing countries? But again, just benchmarking and documenting we're doing what we say we'll do. Well, and just to follow on there from uh, some of both uh, Don and Kevin's comments, Lane, I think it, it might help to, to even put it in perspective uh, for, for your listeners because we're talking about you know, how can we communicate this message around uh, what is sustainability and what does it mean to me? And then what measures or metrics are we talking about? So a lot of terminology that we're getting into, but really if you kind of start at the ranching sector and step forward in the supply chain, 
uh, we have uh, many great examples of programs and practices that we implement today and can continue to implement and, and grow in our implementation of these. So as example, at the ranch level, the, the sustainability work has a huge emphasis on uh, uh, well-written and implemented uh, grazing management plans. If you step forward into the auction market sector, uh, another example would be on beef quality assurance and proper animal care and handling practices, uh, definitely given their n number of human-animal uh, interaction touch points there at the auction markets. At the feed yard level, uh, proper uh, implementation of nutrient management plans for a, a well-documented land application of manure and the benefits that it provides, especially in this uh, latest conversation around improving uh, soil health. And then uh, takes us on into the uh, packing and processing sector, and we know full well exactly how much effort they've put into ensuring uh, employee safety, minimizing accidents and injuries and illness and so forth. And then lastly, at the retail and food service sector, uh, we know uh, and hear um, even in, in the general press and in many of their announcements, uh, their commitments around uh, renewable en renewable energy and uh, energy efficiency, some of the things that they can really, you know, that each segment of the supply chain that, that, that they can really contribute when it comes to uh, those three areas around environmental, social, and economic considerations. So, Ben, maybe staying with you, your work on, on the on the state level in Texas, how what are you doing to work with producers in, in Texas to uh, – to, to, to share that message of what sustainability is uh, and, and answering that for them, but also in the state capital, what are some of the issues that maybe you're running into? Because we all agree, we, we don't want the government, whether it's state or, or, or federal, to dictate what we do in the countryside. So what, what, what are some of the efforts that you've, you've worked on with your producers and producers across the nation to, uh, to make sure that uh, we're sharing our message that we are sustainable, but the government isn't saying, hey, this is what you're going to do. Absolutely. It's uh, definitely the case of uh, putting your best foot forward and, and uh, taking ownership of it um, voluntarily as opposed to, you know, setting ourselves up for, uh, for mandates, um, whether it be legislative or regulatory. And so our, our efforts are really uh, focused on that uh, to ensure that uh, we have uh, well-implemented um, environmental management practices. As, when you look at the, the cattle feeding sector, uh, that uh, we do have a focus on uh, employee safety and training and inspections of our facilities uh, to ensure that those bases are covered. And then uh, lastly, uh, you know, so that touches on the environmental and the safety piece of it. And then, of course, uh, caring for the animals and demonstrating that care through uh, beef quality assurance uh, certifications, training of our employees ar around uh, proper care and handling of animals, health, nutrition, and so forth. Have you had any issues in Texas? Obviously, we think of Texas as a, as a cattle producing state, but are, are there lawmakers that, that talk about sustainability in any of the sessions or, or committees that take place that are, are a red flag to, to you as an association? Not so much, um, you know, under the context uh, specific, specifically around sustainability, but but definitely they're they're always uh, lending an ear to uh, the conservation organizations uh, as far as uh, that there's adequate measures in place, uh, more uh, focused on uh, environmental protection, uh, whether it be water quality, air quality management practices, and so that that would be maybe the tie-in there where. Uh, something that, that we definitely uh, engage, whether it be uh, within the legislature or uh, the environmental regulatory agencies, that we can uh, demonstrate that we are uh, implementing best practices to address water and air quality. Did you gentlemen have the opportunity to read the article in Drovers today? 
I know you've been in meetings all day, but uh, regarding uh, Senator Cory Booker, uh, our presidential candidate. I've read it several places, actually. And and his uh, proposed legislation that would ban uh, CAFOs, uh, CAFO is, of course, uh, we'd call those feed yards, uh, but you have to have a long term for that. yeah, it would uh, require it would ban new uh, controlled animal feeding operations and require existing ones to close by January 2040. We all know that Cory Booker is a vegan. Uh, we know that uh, his uh, legislation. What I just want to make sure I get the the Farm Safety Reform Act of 2019. That is that is his legislation. I think this fits in pretty good with our sustainability uh, conversation here. <laughs> Don's taking a deep breath here. But uh, first off, what are your reactions uh, to, to a, uh, an East Coast politician uh, weighing in on, on a, on a uh, sector of our industry? So in, in uh, my efforts in Washington, D.C. is in NCBA leadership, I've actually had the opportunity on several occasions to talk with Senator Booker. Uh, one-on-one, he's a very. Uh, he's from Stanford, by the way. Went to played football at Stanford in California. Well, I thought you meant Stanford, Montana. Yeah. Well, oh, sorry, well, sorry, he sorry. May have been there, so, yeah, <laughs> pro- probably not, Lane. But, uh, so anyway, uh, all this is it's just a strictly a political play for his presidential run. I mean, in talking with him, and and uh, he actually uh, was on a Senate committee uh, with some environmental issues, and uh, was supportive of actually. Uh, ranchers in in this committee hearing last year and so this is nothing but a strictly political ploy Uh, it was uh, pushed by a group out of Iowa environmental activist group I understand and so that's where this came from it's all about presidential politics so uh, it's aggravating to see something like that even be introduced as legislation very frustrating and uh, I I just uh, you can't take it for anything more than a presidential uh, uh, politician's play. But for maybe a consumer out there that's reading this in, in an East Coast publication and they, they see these headlines, they see figures that are in there, I think this ties back to, into the importance of, of sharing what we do in the countryside. Because um, obviously, uh, you're with the feeding end of things, Ben. Uh, what, what are some strategies that are, or discussions that are probably going on with your leadership right now uh, over that and, and, and sharing our story? Well, I, I think uh, from our leadership level, um, it's uh, definitely an insult uh, to where they've uh, spent um, their livelihood, uh, their careers, um, their, their, their children, their grandchildren, you know, have been invested uh, in these cattle feeding operations. And, um, and and they look to con, you know continue to manage those uh, as they have in the past, and they're always looking for ways to even manage them uh, b- better than they have in the past. And so when when somebody uh, comes at you with a proposal to say uh, ban your existence, uh, it's quite threatening, and um, it, it's something that I think whenever uh, we've had the opportunity you know to interact with uh, reasonable people to develop uh, reasonable. Uh, legislation and reasonable regulations, uh, then we definitely have a willingness and an understanding about uh, how to do that and why to do that and why that's important because uh, we're we're there we're in it for the long haul, and uh, you know uh, that said I think um, you know our hopes are is that uh, you know Mr. Booker might someday uh, actually have a desire to more per- personally learn exactly about what capos are and what they are not 
and you know make make informed decisions as opposed to uninformed don i just think as we get down here to the first of the year and uh and the competition and the presidential race kicks it up a gear we'll probably hear a whole string of of really silly proposals if we haven't already um you know even with kevin's comment while while that comment was largely to appease a given set of delegates out of iowa if you take the the share of of iowa's livestock production particularly the the hog uh, end of the business their their recovery and growth in cattle feeding i just really think it's a it's it's an ill ill-advised position to be taking well gentlemen we're going to take just a quick second to thank our sponsors of the show and don i'm going to come back to you and and, uh maybe talk a little more about uh how the uh, on the international scale how sustainability is is impacting the finance sector uh for producers and uh we'll continue this uh conversation about that word sustainability don't go too far we'll be back with this edition of the cattleman's call right after this Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows when it comes to the issues in Washington, there's simply no room for gray area. Trade, fake meat, the cost and impact of the Green New Deal. The decisions being made today affect the livelihood of your fellow farmers and ranchers. And what matters to cattlemen matters to us. It's as clear as black and white. Visit joinncba.org to learn more. Welcome back to our Cattlemen's Call podcast. We are going to continue our conversation around sustainability and agriculture and why it's important for producers and for consumers alike and just knowing what's going on in the countryside and sharing our story. We were just talking about uh, uh, Senator Cory Booker and his proposal to uh, to impact the industry and, and uh and of course, uh, Don Don close with us with Rabobank has shared insight on that and uh, the political ploy uh, that that many believe this to be, and, and truly is. It, it, it's politics at its finest. But but Don, when we look at sustainability on an international scale, you you have a big background uh, in working in Australia, in New Zealand, and uh, uh, insight into the European Union. Obviously, their agricultural. Uh, producers are impacted differently by consumers, and they're impacted uh, differently by their prospective governments. What should producers be aware of that is occurring on the international scale uh, when it comes to sustainability? Obviously, it's not the same here in the United States, but how is that impacting the financial sectors and the success of farmers and ranchers? across our nation or across internationally excuse me you you've landed on an area that that i typically have some kind of conversation on on a daily basis um i i honestly even after all the time i spend with them i honestly don't understand what the motivators are to to have for the views of europe in the aggregate but I, I do say this, I have spent enough time talking with them about it that my understanding of just how deep their commitment is to their views, and I think that would, is, is beneficial to U.S. producers. That's, we don't have to agree with them, but if we just have a deeper understanding with the level of compassion that they feel they're doing the right thing, 
it better positions us to have that conversation. And I, and I think that's really a, a key takeaway. Um, you know, the, we've already talked about New Zealand. Australia is, is, is just, a, you know, it's a tough, tough slot to be in right now just because of, of the drought. Um, we've seen the, the huge increases, again, as we've already talked about, but the, the ramp up in production in Brazil, I think uh, the, the pork producing countries of Europe with, with Germany, France, Denmark, Spain being the, the big four, and, and the product they're shipping primarily to China, but to Southeast Asia, uh, the, the shipments Brazil's making, I think all of those countries are very close to hitting the wall of exporting all they can produce. So that puts, and then with, with the benefit of our trade agreements that have just been announced in the last 10 days, USMC, you know, we had Japan. We, we had the USMCA announcement, and then in the last week, uh, China. Just off supplies, global supplies alone, and, th- and then the, the icing on the cake with the trade agreements, I think the U.S. is in a much stronger position to see an escalation in exports in 2020. And so maybe that's where we, we tie it back a little more to, uh, well, I mean, we have such a good sustainability story here in the U.S. And I, Don, I'm going to uh, maybe stick with you a little more, and, and we'll go back uh, uh, to, to Ben and Kevin here, though. As, uh, African swine fever is rampant across Asia. and But also we know that for U.S. beef, to uh, be a part uh, of their their trade agreement and, and their openness to, to the market, it, it has to be under certain restrictions, non-hormone, and producers truly do want to know where their beef is coming from. So that that may be one reason why producers need to relook at sustainability and, and sharing their story a little more. How, how does the rancher that maybe has that capability of uh, filling that protein? need in uh in china look at sustainability and and why should they look at sustainability on that on that level well i've always i've always given the answer on that if you take if you take the series of of food safety issues that they have had in china uh it makes them very sensitive to that topic if you take the fallout from the the one child policy and you know the, probably a poor choice of words but if you've only got one billy you're really going to take care of him so you know they're they're very emphatic about traceability knowledge of where their food comes from and so that that's not going to go away so i i think one of the the key questions that producers ask i'm kind of going back to, to a phrase i used earlier is, is we we've done all these practices for for maybe 10 years 20 years 30 years um why do we need to promote sustainability on our ranches um but that may come to the question is what is the value of sustainability to consumers as well so maybe that's where we need to focus our conversation right now how do we focus on the learning from those consumers about what are the key things that they want to know about the sustainability of the beef life cycle? And uh, what are some of those uh, strategies that are, are present and could be present down the road to, to help educate producers about sharing their sustainability story? Does that long question make sense? 
<laughs> Lane, uh, I'll take a stab at it and then uh, let uh, Kevin fill in some of the gaps. So I think the, the way you teed up the question in terms of uh, how do we help address these questions uh, that consumers are asking about how and where their food's produced um, re really is, is what uh, kind of uh, helped lead to that what we talked about earlier is that opportunity to really uh, engage in sustainability in a positive way and uh, help help lead this conversation as opposed to follow. That's where uh, now about five years ago, uh, NCBA, TCFA, and about uh, 20 of the other state cattlemen's organizations from across the country um, stepped up as uh, founding members of the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. And that's uh, that uh, voluntary a full supply chain uh, collaborative effort where we've um, really worked to uh, ensure that we're addressing those needs. So having having uh, ranchers in the room, auction markets, feed yards, packers and processors, uh, retail and food service companies, uh, some of the conservation organizations, as well as our university and research institutes that uh, support, you know, many of us in, in production agriculture at the table to uh, collectively come up with and identify, all right, now how can we do this? How, how, how can we break this down and explain what we do every day and in a meaningful way and uh, in a way that uh, consumers can understand it and, and in, in a way that uh, our, our, wherever you're at in the supply chain, uh, you can be proud to be part of that conversation and, and proud to uh, share what it is uh, that, that you do to contribute uh, to sustainability. Yeah, and from a rancher standpoint, uh, these measurements, there's just six measurements for a rancher uh, to show and, and be measured against for to show how sustainable we really are. And those six measurements are accepted by the Walmarts, the McDonald's, the Wendy's of the world. So going forward, that gives us a lot of great opportunity for all these big uh, retail uh, companies that move a lot of our product majority of our product here in the U.S. to be able to tell our story for us to the consumer. I mean, it's a win-win situation. So I'm looking forward to, as we go along to the future, to be able to tell our story and other ranchers to be able to tell our story and brag about ourselves and show what a good job we're doing to save the environment. So what is the roundtable's definition of sustainability then? It's, it's really about uh, advancing uh, beef sustainability in a way uh, where we can demonstrate that we care for the animals, care for the environment, care for our people, and we, we make uh, money along the way so that we can stay economically viable both in the short run and in the long run. Now, Ben, there may be some listeners out there that are a little wary about the roundtable and maybe some of its partners. But again, this is uh, an opportunity to have a seat at the table to learn about what consumer preferences are. H how do you address some of the misconceptions about the roundtable when, when you're maybe uh, talking with a producer? Well, I think it's uh, it's important to note that the roundtable, as I commented earlier, it is a, a voluntary organization. Uh, it, it is a, a member based, member driven, member funded, um, currently has 120 members, continues to be a mem an open member application, uh, open membership organization. So uh, there's a, we definitely have uh, welcomed new members along the way and continue to improve members, almost new members almost every month. And so as part of that, uh, when you look uh, today uh, with across the roundtable membership with about 119, 120 members, um, it's not uh, it's not driven or or decisions made by any one organization. 
collectively, those members have worked together to build this, what we've termed as the sustainability framework. Um, and that, that's just a way to say that we identified these six key areas of importance um, and, and then the metrics associated with those six key areas of importance that are uh, relevant to each sector of the supply chain which those sectors uh, brought forward and, th and they owned uh, the development of those metrics themselves. So this was not a, a case of a, uh, a conservation organization or a retailer or a feed yard or anyone else uh, dictating the outcomes of this uh, sustainability conversation, whether it comes to these uh, indicators or these metrics that we've identified. So that, that said, um, you know, we've had uh, we, we've had some of that uh, those comments as, as you uh, commented as you observed here just a minute ago, and it's like anything. You know, you can um, you can say a lot of negative things out of ignorance about an entity or an organization or or practices that somebody may be applying. Um, could be a little bit analogous uh, to the to the, the conversation we had about uh, Mr. Booker here a bit ago. You know, our preference is always if somebody has something or an opinion that they want to uh, come forward with about us as cattle producers, as beef producers, we would much rather them um, come come forward in, in, a, in an informed way uh, with a clear understanding of what it is that we do and, and what, what we don't do, um, whether it be how we care for animals, the environment, or our people. What's the consumer reaction been to the roundtable itself? Well, uh, I'll let Ben address it after I do, but uh, from a rancher standpoint, I think the uh, initial rollout for the roundtable, uh, we had uh, two different public comment periods on the measurements and metrics of uh, what we were going to be proposing. The public had uh, multiple opportunities and did uh, respond to it, so it's been positive. It's been really positive, and I think it will continue to build momentum and getting our messaging out. The consumers are going to have a really positive reaction when they find out about our beef quality assurances uh, interweaved in uh, all much of these uh, measurements. And so it's a good story to tell, and the consumers, once they hear it, uh, act really positive to it. Yeah, well said, Kevin. And uh, really, as uh, we've finalize kind of this overall structure for a sustainability framework that we can communicate both within the supply chain and to our exter external stakeholders and beef consumers. Um, we, we also uh, encourage uh, people to, to look at that. We're very much in an uh, outreach and education and, and communications mode uh, when it comes to the roundtable activities today. Uh, the, the website uh, beefsustainability.us uh, provides uh, all the information that uh, Kevin just referred to and that I've uh, referred to as far as these uh, these measures and um, even includes a, a, a voluntary self-assessment tool that's uh, free of charge uh, that's where no data is being captured uh, on behalf of, of the roundtable or any other organization that allows them just to, to do their own self-assessment and uh, evaluate where they're at today and identify areas uh, where they want, may want to emphasize and invest uh, additional resources in the future. Now, uh, another uh, area is uh, just, again, we keep saying share, we need to share a story, talk about what we do in the countryside. And sometimes 
it's just hard for for ranchers and, and uh, uh, feeders and, uh, and and the and the packing facilities and to, to to tell that story someday. Sometimes we we are just busy, and sometimes folks are just scared to tell their story. And I think uh, one of those areas that uh, really highlights the environmental stewardship aspect of it is the environmental stewardship award um i I just think that is a great way whether you are engaging with consumers those on on capitol hill to showcase all the work that generations have put into land kevin could you maybe expand more about that uh, environmental stewardship award and how the states participate and and how that really shines a big spotlight on what we do in the countryside with our natural resources that environmental stewardship awards program uh, the ncba and other organizations have uh, developed over the past 20 years has been a huge success i mean I get teared up every year at uh, the annual cattle convention uh, when these awards, uh, national awards, uh, given out to the top producer out of the nine regions uh, within NCBAs. Uh, and so uh, the stories each and every year of all nine regions, uh, the quality of ranchers and farmers that uh, win these uh, regional and national awards just keeps getting better and better. And for us to have the, the ability and, and opportunity to tell their stories to consumers, uh, it's a win-win for everybody. It, it, and I just would remind folks, it's uh, it's incredible um, to, to see some of those stories and and it's uh, great the way that their stories are documented uh, and it kind of tells, you know, how they came to, to where they are um, th- through their ranching enterprise or feed yard. And uh, would encourage folks to, to take a look at the uh, Environmental Stewardship uh, Award website. Uh, those videos are, are high, highlight all of those producers. And it's, a, again, an open, open application process each year for people can uh, put together an application, uh, tell us about their operation, you know, really really step out there, brag about yourself, because definitely it's a, uh, all of us have a, lo- a lot to be proud of. And uh, just to show uh, the differences uh, from upstate New York and last year's uh, regional award winner and the water quality stuff they did for the city of New York, all the way to the vast expanses of uh, Arizona and the semi-desert area there and the great things that ranchers there are doing to protect the environment and increase sustainability. uh, it's, it's a great story to tell, and we just need to uh, keep doing it. Now, now Don, we, we talked about uh, the international look at sustainability, but I know a lot of producers out there may be thinking, maybe they want to look at it in terms of uh, how many more pennies can I get when I sell my, my, my calves in the fall or, or whatnot. How, how does the sustainability model in, in the move to, to – to, for consumers to know about the sustainability of beef, how is that going to impact what producers get when they sell calves in the fall and the cow-calf side of things and then all the way down the line? Well, I think the the, uh, source verified, the traceability clearly has value. But I would also argue, and there's, there's a lot of moving parts here, but if you look at the fact that over the last four to five years, we've added six million cattle to the inventory. We've seen the the percentage of choice and prime beef at all-time record levels and getting better. We see retail prices, in spite of this level of production, in spite of record levels of competition from the other species, we're still growing demand for beef. And I think that alone takes all of the components 
that we've talked about here today and shows what level of confidence that consumer has in that product with how it's being produced today. So, gentlemen, for our listeners out there, what, what's a final message that you have for them? Uh, I, I know we said we need, we need to uh, talk about sustainability, share a story about sustainability, but what is a true heartfelt message that you have for a producer um, to just uh, be engaged and be a part of this uh, conversation? My, my party message and ask would be that, you know, don't believe everything you see on social media. Investigate, look at things yourself, uh, look, look at all the analysts and comments instead of just looking at social media and going off activist comments and, and uh, anti-beef and anti-NCBA people, for example. So uh, just uh, do your due diligence and, uh, and put some thought into uh, staying in business into the future for your uh, operation, and I think you'll come out uh, well ahead. Don? You know, when we early on in this conversation, we, you were asking us what our views of sustainability were initially, and and what has been our our learning curve or our change in views over time. And and the the real turning point for me was when I came to the realization that the overwhelming majority of producers are doing the right things. And you you brought this portion up talking. They don't like to tell their own story. But when I came to the realization that they're doing the right thing, the only missing component of this is the verification or documentation that we're doing it, we're there. Actually, Don, I'm going to throw alternative proteins at you here before we wrap up. You used a really good example of consumers in Canada because they've all they've had the the alternative proteins in in the Burger King uh, stores up there a lot longer than they have here in the U.S. If I'm correct in saying that, but I think consumers when they hear that message, they understand that U.S. agriculture is sustainable, and that's why we're sharing this message. But could you share how they're really not even seeing that much of a difference in? the beef patties that are served in those Burger King restaurants. Am I correct in saying that? You're correct in that. You've got the added story to go along with that, that excluding the the coast that uh, Tim Hortons pulled the, the plant-based sausage uh, breakfast off because of low sales. We're, we just started to get some some news out of Canada with uh, McDonald's launch on, on the plant-based product. And and the the number of sales per day, um, that you know, ar- around forty is, uh, per store. Uh, so I, I think I think you're saying, in spite of of all of these additional products being offered to the consumer, once they go through that, we want to try it once. But we're we have seen no negative impact on beef sales whatsoever. I, I wouldn't have been doing my job if I didn't bring bring up those alternative proteins that are imitating that great sustainable protein that we produce. That's just one ingredient, beef. <laughs> ben, I'll, I'll let you share share your thoughts here. Sure, Lane, and and I think uh, my ask of uh, anyone that's listening to this podcast would be uh, if you have a question, uh, if you have an opinion that you want to voice, uh, we're here to listen and we want to hear it. Uh, talk to us uh, directly to us. And uh, we'd be happy to uh, to answer those questions, to hear those opinions, uh, and engage in any uh, constructive dialogue that's of interest to your listeners.
My final question. What's the difference between regenerative agriculture and sustainable agriculture? Is there one, or is that just a different uh, adjective used to describe what we're already doing? Ben? Uh, I think it's all put in that context of, you know, how you want to describe it today in, in terms of that focus on, on uh, renewable and, and uh, what we do to, uh, to again, care, care for the animals and the environment that are under, under the care that God God directed us to do so you know that that said uh, you know I think we we raise cattle on grass we raise cattle on gra- uh, a, a tremendous amount of acreage in this country that uh, has uh, no other useful purpose other than uh, raising cattle and and uh, uh, using that solar energy to to harvest uh, that those plant nutrients and uh, grow grow cattle raise beef again for the the U.S. Uh, consumers and consumers abroad. Well, gentlemen, uh, is there anything else you want to add here before we wrap up today? I know we're, we're pushing on dinner, and I really don't like keeping anyone from dinner, but uh, speak now or forever, hold your peace. I'll just say really quickly uh, uh, for listeners, uh, be critical and impartial uh, thinkers when you hear uh, sustainability and do an analysis of yourself and your own operation, and, and don't be fearful uh, because uh, sustainability is profitability, and uh, it'll keep you and all of us in business. Very well said. Well, gentlemen, I truly uh, thank you for taking time here today to to talk about that word sustainability. But it's so much more than that. I think we briefly covered that. It's uh, been about uh, 50 minutes that we've discussed this. And I think down the road we'll continue to have this discussion, maybe expand upon it a, a little more. And uh, I just uh, want to thank you all for being here. You're more than welcome. Thanks, Thanks for having us. All right. Again, uh, for more information on uh, the uh, initiatives, whether it's the Environmental Stewardship Award, just visit ncba.org. Or uh, for uh, any information on the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, that is sustainableagriculture.us. I messed that up, didn't I? Close. (laughs) (laughs) BeefSustainability.us. Perfect. Well, again, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Again, for our our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. We're going to continue to have these conversations about different aspects of our industry and, and how we can continue to be a part of the greatest profession on earth, that is growing food and fiber to feed and clothe this world. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for today's Cattleman's Call. I'm Lane Northland. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.